0: I uh bring greetings to you. I should have said this at the beginning, but uh bring greetings to you from Dave Anderson. He said to give a very special regard. I think he spoke here about three, four years or last year, right yes, and uh, he thoroughly enjoyed ministering to you, and he sends special regards. There are groups of people praying uh for this retreat and I'm so thankful the way God led us to this point. And I pray that the word that you've been hearing is something that will make an eternal difference in your life because it's God's word. There's this um, true ev- a story of uh, in 1938, Isidore Zimmerman was wrongly convicted for Uh, Having killed a policeman, and five of them were put into uh, life sentencing without parole. And 28 years later, his innocence was proved and he was released. And though he was innocent, because of the incarnate, uh, um, uh, because of the prison time that he spent, he couldn't get a job. His name was sullied. And so he sued the state, and he had to sue multiple times, and eventually he won, I think, like a million dollars or whatever, but four months later he died. Why do I tell you the story in context to what we are doing? I'm saying this because he was proved innocent, but the impact of what happened to him, circumstances, his past, still haunted him. He couldn't get a job. But when we come to God, we are justified as ones who can never sin. And our past is no more haunting us. That is what we have in Jesus Christ. The beauty of what God said he promised, this eternal life before ages began. So that was the first session. The second session was about, about sound doctrine. The third session was about discipleship. The fourth session was about grace. Fifth session was about hope. And now we're going to see, because we have this hope, how, what are we going to do here now as we live between the two appearances, the gracious appearance and the glorious appearance, the incarnate appearance and the appearance that leads to his coronation? What are we to do? And so it's, uh, I want to title this session as Eager to Do Good, Eager to Do Good. And what people see is what the Bible speaks of, what does the Bible say of good works, about good works. Second, what is the reason Paul is writing to Titus about, about those good works, and how does it apply to us? We have this jaded approach to work. How many of you are excited to get back to work tomorrow? yeah i know right we would like this retreat to continue forever we think this is heaven but heaven's much better right uh so we have this approach to work and so what does the bible say about all of that so i'm going to read to you titus chapter 3 if i may request you to please rise as we read god's word titus chapter 3 Read along with me, or read in your mind, but follow through. This is the word of God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things, which is what we're trying to do in the session. Insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for persons who stir up division, after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer, the Apollos on their way, so that they lack nothing. Listen to verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. Thank you, O Father, for your word. Help us, Lord, to hear you and to discern the truths that you have for us, so that our lives are devoted to this good works that you're calling us to, all for your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, amen. Please be seated. So we want to see what the Bible has to say about work. And the Bible begins with God working in creation, isn't it? He's making things good. He's bringing to order uh, from chaos. From chaos, he, he brings order. He gives purpose to what is created. And then man is given this task to continue it, to have dominion, to be fruitful and to multiply. So what God did is what now man is to continue. Man is called to be a gardener, not a park ranger. And so I was looking up the definition of a park ranger in the world, uh, world WWF, you know, the uh, World, world um, Wildlife Fund. Thank you. Uh, it says, monitor, engage, help communities assist with tourism. Adam and Eve were not there to monitor and engage and help and, you know, but they were to work, they are to tend to the garden. That God had made. And so he was placed. And farmers don't just maintain. They grow. They change things. They, they cause it to bear fruit. That's what a farmer does. Not a park ranger. And similarly we are called. When we are called to work. We are called to bring order. To chaos. Wherever we are. Whatever work we do. But we tend to see. Work is a necessary evil. I have to pay my bills. And so I work. We look at work as an outcome of sin. But work existed even before sin. Work, work is not a result of sin. Our idea of heaven, at least probably not ours at CBF and GBF, but the general idea of heaven is that we'll be sitting on clouds and playing harp. And I say to them, you know what, we play harp at our church. We harp about this and harp about that, but there's no harp in heaven. There's going to be work to be done. The economy of heaven is different. We haven't been told what exactly is going to happen. But work is not just um, a result of sin, but it was there before, even today, as we put these uh, I think that's what you guys do: put binary numbers into a program. That's work. Bringing from chaos, bringing uh, from chaos into order. You you channel the energy from water into electricity. You are at home. You give it stability. All of that is work. What is good, God says, is good. Is what we try to do. What was not good, we make it good. That's work. So tending, as in a garden, even in a garden, you take. The physical resources, the material, the soil, the seed, and you grow this work. That's what tending is all about. The prayer that the Lord taught, give us this day our daily bread. And when you have prayed for daily bread, did you get, I don't know what bread you get, modern bread still? I don't know what bread you get. Did we get bread? No. Because if we get bread, you would say, oh, I want whole grain, Lord. I want uh, brown wheat, um, whole, whole wheat. I don't know what, what your specifics are. But what he gives is, is the resources to work on so that you can get the bread. You get that? So there is work and labor involved. The Israelites, they got manna. They didn't open their mouth like we do in Canada when it first rains to get the snow in our mouth. Manna had to be worked. There was labor and work involved. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Leap Over a Wall, he writes, God is first presented in scripture as a worker. And Adam and Eve were placed in the garden as workers. So work, therefore, is a primary primary context in our spirituality. The primary context of our spirituality, that is, it's a basic human need, like food, air, rest, work is essential to us. And so the idea uh, that God works, or the idea of good work, sorry, means or suggests that there is something called bad work. Right? You, so the option of bad work has come because sin has corrupted work. Sin has brought in the pain and the sorrow and the sweat on the brow when we work. But thankfully, if you turn to Genesis chapter 3 verse 18, we see that it's still not, uh, you know, God has not removed the joy of fruitfulness because it says there, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. You shall eat the plants of the field. And so God is saying, even later to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. It's his mission statement for us to be fruitful and to multiply. Not just faithful, but fruitful. And so this mandate of faithfulness and fruitfulness still continues. Great commission is about that. Be fruitful and multiply. Go forth and make disciples. That is being fruitful and multiplying over the face of the earth. That the gospel light that you have received, this righteous living that you've got, would have be found in every part of the globe. That's the great commission that we have. Or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not because of good works, for good works. And we forget that part. We agree that it's not good works that leads to salvation, but salvation must lead to good works. And so in Titus, Paul is writing and saying that if you have the hope of eternal life, that godliness will result and that godliness is evidenced in good works. If you say you're godly, you should be like God. In the beginning, how in Genesis, he's presented as the worker. So you must work the good work of God, bringing order to chaos Moving things from what is not good to be good, giving it purpose. Your boss expects it if you're working in some company. He wants you to move things from not being good to good, but the mandate is that of God. And in chapter three, verse eight, this I think is is something that you can hold on to if you ever feel overwhelmed by your work or you feel the uselessness of the work, here there is, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. It's excellent and profitable. So the question is, what is good works? How do you define good works? We, 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 If good works is, okay, you should speak to a minimum hundred people about the gospel before you die. Or that you should come to 90% of the church meetings. Or that you should have tracts in your pocket always so that you can hand it out as you meet people. Are those the good works that Paul is writing about? Is that what good work all about? So the word good work, the word work in Greek means, do you know what it means? Work. In Greek also it means work. You're supposed to work. There's no option. There's no exception. It is intended for you to work. And this work is such that serves others. This work is one that brings order from chaos. This work is, takes what is not good to make it good. So you could be working in the companies, in your workplace, you could be in the society, in the community, in the family, wherever God has placed you, whatever role God has given you, the work that you're doing where you bring order from chaos, you know, after your kids play and the toys are all over the place and you pick them up, that's bringing order to chaos. If you put your kids to sleep, maybe that also is bringing order to chaos. So don't look down on that work that you're doing because we have the template of work right at the beginning. This good work is not, therefore, something which is only what we call spiritual. And everything else is just, oh, so that I I need to pay my bills. That's where I think we have gone wrong. We We are called to do this work as unto the Lord in anything, even the mundane and the average. And that's where we have the problem. Doing the same thing again and again and again and again with, with, where it doesn't seem to make any difference. How do I then do it as unto the Lord, which I read about in Colossians 3.23? Doing it as unto the Lord. Doing it as unto the Lord even at work when your boss is a pain or your employees are clueless doing it as unto the lord in the society when the circumstances are not conducive or where the culture is anti gospel doing as unto the lord within the family where you feel your battle is lonely when your spouse and you differ on the how on almost everything it seems to be like a battle on the inside but doing it as unto the lord and so this letter as he as he starts to lay the format as to what brings us to good works. Out of the 46 verses, there are at least seven verses where he specifically writes about good works. Let's see some of them. Chapter 2, verse 3, writing to the older women. I keep forgetting this. Okay. Okay. Good works as an antidote to blasphemy. Chapter 2, verse 5, so that the word of God may not be discredited. Chapter 2, verse 7, to the church leader, good works that will silence the naysayers. Chapter 2, verse 8, actually, it says this, so that they have nothing evil to say about us. Verse 9, writing to the slaves and the employees, it says your good work would be an ornament to the gospel. Look at verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. And then he's now going to address, so those are specifically addressed, but then he's going to address the church about these principles of good works. So in chapter 2, verse 14, we see there, What he writes, he says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is, the reason for our salvation is good works. We are saved for good works. We read already in Ephesians. And so we respond to the gospel. We respond to this hope with Good work. Chapter 3, verse 1. Good works in the public arena. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. Submission is seen as a virtue here, but it is scoffed in the world and unfortunately it's coming into the church. They think that when you, when you, um, uh, Submit, I'm giving up of my identity, that it is not a good thing. But Jesus submits, you see. And so we're called here to submit to the rulers and authorities. And as he's writing here, and uh, Peter also writes, honor the emperor. The emperor is Nero, not the best of the ruler. And so as a Christian, we are supposed to be the most law-abiding people or the citizens good work even in the public arena but we have isolated ourselves the salt of the earth is missing in the public arena because we have we have become salt in salt shakers not spread out through the earth now, i'll give you a sad example uh 2003 um uh, canada became the first country that legalized same-sex marriage we were the first country outside of europe to have done that And my wife's cousin was a parliamentarian at that time. And he said, you know, we lost the vote because 10 Christians didn't show up to say that they don't, that that they oppose that. We just needed 10 public witness. And so we became the first country because Christians were missing. In chapter three, verse eight, It says good works is a profitable investment before God. Those who believe in God, if you say you believe in God, you must devote yourselves to good work. And again, we saw the definition of good work is bringing order from chaos. It is taking what is not good to make good. It is giving it a purpose. And we do this wherever you are in whatever roles you play. And sometimes you're not able to necessarily make this big dramatic change, but you are called, as this word says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. Whatever you do, if you do it with excellence and in such a way that it profits people, you're good. That's a good work that God is calling you to do. I'm not sure if you've heard of Brother Lawrence. Have you heard of Brother Lawrence? He was one of the monks, but he worked in the kitchen. In the scullery. Oops, I don't think. I don't think I have that, so that's all right. Uh, Brother Lawrence felt that he, God was calling him to work, but when he joined the monastery, they put him to work in the kitchen, to clean the kitchen and to clean the dishes. I'm going to read to you what he said. And somebody else wrote it down, but... You can find uh, more about Brother Lawrence if you do a search. um, I think it's a PDF and you can read about it. Listen to this. Nor is it needed that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for the love of him. And that is done, and if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before him, who has given me the grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. He was saying in the kitchen, if there's a straw on the floor, he picks it up because he loves God. What a... 180 degree difference in this understanding of what law, what, what work is. And he says, even as he turns the cake that is on the pan, he thanks God that God has allowed him to be able to do that. He does it as unto the Lord. We aspire to be great and do great things. But it's in the little things. As you do the good things, the God is glorified. Verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. Good works is a sign of Christian fruitfulness. It says, devote themselves to good works. So that let people learn. So there's a learning. Devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So, if you are not doing good work, you are being unfruitful if you 're not doing it excellently you 're being unfruitful if you 're not looking at to do it as unto the lord you 're doing it you 're being unfruitful if you 're not doing your work so that it helps others you 're being unfruitful. you know the idea and the need to understand that God has filled your hands. And we do it as unto the Lord with this hope and this expect, expect, expectancy that he, is, he lays in our heart of his soon coming. So we do it as unto the Lord. You don't have to be a CEO to make the great impact. You could be the older sister, the older brother. You could be the mother. Or you could be the father. You could be the husband. You could be the wife. You could be a Christian, a good neighbor in the society doing it in such a way that your community is helped, where you brought uh, order from chaos, you've given things purpose, where you've taken what is not good to make it what is good. I was talking to a young man and um, he says, I'm, 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 I'm very selfless because I help people. And I asked him, who does he help? And he helps all his friends. And... And so as he helps his friends, really what is happening is he's only affirming himself because he gets validated by them. Does he do good for people who he doesn't know, just the community at large or the church at large, people who he's not close to because in a church like this and in ours, we we tend to have smaller groups. And that's okay because, you know, that's community within the community. But that does not mean that I'm not going to impact others. Good works, good works, fruitfulness. So you move from self-centeredness to, to selflessness. That's work. Fruitfulness is, as Brother George was praying, Christ-likeness. Because that's what Christ did. He, has, he didn't consider himself, but he gave himself up for us all. So how do we apply this to ourselves? Three things I put there. One is know. Know that there is only one kind of work. There is no secular work and sacred work. It's not two different kinds of work that on a Sunday morning I do the sacred work and the rest of the time I'm in secular work. Or that you call me and you look at me and you say, oh, he is only doing the sacred work. You don't know me. Or you, you, you might think that if that were the case, that I shouldn't be helping my wife, I'll go back and tell her that. But no, we are all called to work and not segregate or make the difference. Any work, do all the work that's, that your hand lays its hand on. I forget the exact words, but Ecclesiastes say this, that, and do it with all your might. No, and so good works as an heir in verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life, and then it talks about good works, so that means that good works is befitting for the heirs of salvation, that if you're an heir of salvation, if you have the hope of eternal life, if you're waiting for the glorious coming, then the labor that's in your hand is a means of good work, And we already saw what good work is, moving from chaos to order, what is not good to make it good, and giving it purpose, giving it purpose. Not just that, that there is hope. Second, there is hope. In chapter 3, verse 5, it says there that he saved us, not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And the word regeneration is palingenesia. Genesia. Palingenesia. Do you hear the word genesis coming in there? Palingenesia. I means genesis again. It's new birth. It's reproduction. It's renewal. It's recreation. It's regeneration. We have this hope. Of this new world. This new earth. a new heaven. That's the joy that we have. The hope that we have. That this is going to be renewed there's going to come a time for rest, a rest that Joshua could not promise, a rest that we can get. In fact, the word pelangenesia was a word that Greeks understood. They also were looking for this pelangenesia, that things would change, but their hope that they had was all faulty. And Paul is saying real hope is only in Christ. It is through him that you can have the pelangenesia. It is through him you can have this Genesis again the hope that we have. And the third is help. We have help for today. A very Christ, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we read in the psalm, a very present help in times of trouble. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he invites those who are weary and are heavy burdened to come to him and he will give rest. And what does he do in, in Matthew 11? He gives a yoke. The rest that God, Jesus is offering you is work. You've got to pause long enough to wonder what is that. Because he's saying I'm the best boss there is. You work for me, you'll feel rested. And working for me is the work that I've given you, filled your hands to labor as a mother, as a hus- husband, as an employee, as a boss. You do it as unto me. There is help. Work as if all your work is as unto him. Work. Nothing, you know, as we were thinking about Moving through the epistle written to Titus, we see how beautifully that hope begins with God. It's validated and nurtured, and uh, you know, flourishing through the sound of doctrine that we hear. And now after the teaching, it needs to be caught. And so there's discipleship and every member in the church is now learning the truths and the principles of this good word. And then you begin to realize that you can't do it on your own strength, but you are supposed to, uh, the effort is necessary, but the energy is that of grace being given to us, grace trains us. And then it leads us to this hope that there is coming a bright future. Hope, definitely hope is only about a future that is better than the present. That's hope. And now we see that in the meantime, we fill our hands with work that brings God glory. The good works that he calls us to. The... 11th century German monarch, Henry III, he had become tired of his responsibilities and and the worldliness of the life court. And so he wanted to become a monk. And he goes and, you know, he signs up to be a monk and Prior Richard says, Your Majesty, do you understand that this pledge here is of obedience? It'll be hard for you because you're a king. But King Henry was adamant he says no I understand the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you and so prior Richard said this then I'll tell you what you have to do he says go back to your throne serve faithfully in the place where God has placed you and Henry did just that and when he died his epitaph read the king learned to rule by being obedient that's a good epitaph for us we learn to work by being obedient learn to do good works by being obedient we hope we have this hope the hope that calls us to be obedient to him through good works works that transforms this world works this that Begins. They begin to see that the kind of the gospel, the kind of Christians that they have seen are not Christians who are regenerated and renewed, but those of us who are, those of us who have understood the beauty of the gospel, the wonder of of this gospel, who have been transformed. We need to go out and let them see what Christ has done for you. And as you go out, they're able to see the good works and praise our Father in heaven. And you probably know that India has already become the most populous country in the world. We have a chance to be billionaires for Christ. Because there's more than a billion souls that can be won to him. And I pray, I pray that in our times, in us, in the in station of life that God has placed us. That through the labor of our, of our hands. And through the the love demonstrated in our hearts, and through a through our feet that will unceasingly and tirelessly go to places to reach those player, uh, those those people with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ through the good works that He's called us. And sometimes it might just stop at your home. It might stop at your society. It might be at your work day in and day out. In this station of life, He is calling you to live in hope. And that's demonstrated through godliness. And the evidence of this godliness is the good works that you do. May God bless you. Let me just pray. Can I just ask you to please stand up as we... Close and final. Father God, we so want to thank you for making this retreat possible. There's much work that has gone into it the very things that we were talking about, the work that a lot of these teams did for the good of others, they brought order from chaos. They took what was not seemingly good. They took resources and made it good. And they've given it a purpose. And so we have enjoyed these past three days. We have, we really have. But as we were reminded again and again, Lord, the real purpose of this retreat is so that you would speak to us. And in speaking to us, we get a re- reflection of who we are. We get a picture of who we are and where we are and where our hearts are, what does our heart really long for, and, uh, and, and that we can pause long enough to, to move away from the detour and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And I pray that that, is, that would happen. I pray that these dear brothers and sisters, as they get back to their workplaces, as they get back to their homes, as they get back to their host, as it were. They are sentries. They are soldiers. They are people who you have placed as a, on the watchtower, as watchmen and watchwomen, as they stand there, back in their places. I pray, O oh God, that, that our hearts would be filled with love for the perishing, for the love for the work that you've given us, love for the people who we serve, love for the, the, for the God we worship. And because of that, The labor of our hands would be as unto the Lord. That this work that we do, the bringing from chaos and bringing into order, taking things that are not good and making it good, and giving things purpose and fitting it so that they are are good, so people can say it is good, and so that this would happen. And through our lives and through the words that people are able to see the majesty and the the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, O God, that we will persevere this hope that he called us to, that this blessed hope, this assured hope, this glorious hope of of your soon coming, of your soon coming. And we wait. We love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want for him to come. We want, Lord, that as he comes that the the world over they will acknowledge and, and, and that their knees will bow and tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we get to see our beloved face to face. Our hearts have no greater desire than that. But because of the labors that you've given us here to do today, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of sweat on our brow, in the midst of thorns and thistles, in the midst of all of that, yet we can eat and we can be fruitful and multiply. That's your promise. So I pray that our labors will bring fruit. I pray that we will be faithful so that when we when we see you, we can hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you for this church, for the many little children that you've given them. We pray that as they come, that you would sanctify their souls, that very soon that you'll grab hold of their souls and their hearts for your I pray, O God, the young men and the young women here, I pray that they will keep themselves pure and holy for you, vessels that are clean. They will flee youthful passions, flee youthful passions, and they will run towards righteousness and what is pure and good, and that they will run with your people who are called to be pure. I pray that this church, these two churches, would be blessed in such a way that wherever you place them, that that they will be a blessing to the community and to the many you will bring into the fold. We know Lord that as the church have become have moved into two different locations. There is going to be missing opportunities, people who miss each other. And Lord, through this pain, through this change, sustain them. Help them, Lord, to to realize that we do good work as unto you and sometimes it means pain. Let the good work not be at the cost of uh, complacency. Let it not be at the cost of sin. Let us destroy anything that rises up against you and, and, Lord, take every thought captive. I pray that you're honored and glorified in our midst. And because of that, Lord, the light of the gospel would shine bright in Bangalore and in Karnataka and and in India so that many, 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 many souls would be one for you. This is our desire, O God, this we ask. So be glorified, O Father, we pray in the answering of our prayers. In Jesus Christ, O Lord's name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Please